Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Hello and welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. This is Debbie Ronka, your host, and I'm so grateful that you are here with me today. So let me ask you this question. Do you ever think about the quality of your conversations? In this day and age, I believe we all know that conversation, meaningful conversation is truly needed. And yet it's becoming a lost art amongst our family, our friends, and even our colleagues. How do we change this? How do we improve and become more intentional with our conversations that we have in life? Well, I can tell you, you will enjoy my guest today, Jan Janora. He will enlighten and inspire us both with his humor and his amazing insight on this very topic while we discuss his new book, Turning Small Talk into Big Talk. Jan will be both entertaining and insightful. And I promise you're going to walk away with a deeper understanding of making conversation meaningful. So before we start, let me just share a few things about Jan so you get to know who's with us today. Well, I can tell you Jan is a serial entrepreneur. He's an out-of-the-box innovator. And according to Gallup Strength Finders test, he's a futurologist. Jan's insight has helped him establish prosperous businesses across a diverse range of markets. Well, his first job, he was a director with Young Life. And although very passionate about what he was doing, he felt this call to go into the business world. And at that time, he contacted a friend of his who is now his wife, Carol Anderson. And she just resigned from a position in, from eight years as a fashion designer. Together, they created Carol Anderson Inc. And within four months, they had their first order from Nordstrom's. Well, 25 years later, Jan saw that the distribution model needed to be changed. And so another great idea was formed and created. Out of this transition came the new concept of selling Carol's fashions at house parties. So in 2003, this idea became Cabby, Carol Anderson by invitation with 10 sales consultants that grew to over 3,200 Cabby consultants. And the company was selling several hundred million dollars annually. Well, Jan also has a passion to do things with men. And so he started the Wild Adventure, where he hosts groups of men at his Smiling Moose Ranch in Montana. And they have one-week excursions. And he leads them in open discussions where they talk about life's big questions as they just relish that scenic viewery. And yes, they get to do fly fishing. So Jan, I could say you truly are a man for all seasons and not only creating and building businesses, but relationships as well. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. Well, thank you. And Debbie, it's wonderful to see you again. Oh, what a treat. Oh, I have been so looking forward to reconnecting and seeing you again. Well, great. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here, honored to share the stuff from my book and also uh, talk about all the different things that are going on, especially up here in Montana at the Smiling Moose Lodge. Absolutely. And of course, 
I would be negligent if I didn't say that many years ago, I was part of Carol Anderson by invitation. And it was a true honor and a special season in my life. And so, Jan, I want to thank you and Carol for creating that because it blessed my life in so many different ways. So first, I just want to thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And we and we were blessed by it, too. And it was really a fun nine years to create that, going from 10 consultants to over 3,200. And uh, actually, when we sold it, the people who the private equity company that bought us said it was the largest direct sales deal of women's clothing in the United States, which is pretty amazing. That's so. a huge accomplishment. And <laughs> I still have my clothes. I love them. <laughs> Classics forever. Well, I purchased your new book. And I tell you, I well, loved you. it. I thank loved you. it. And I just think you have so much insight and really how to teach us exactly what your book, the title is Turning Small Talk into Big Talk. So what really, like, where did you get this inspiration to write? Well, first, I'm going to show you a copy of the book right here. There it is. Small Talk into Big Talk. And that little logo I created that with a great friend of mine who's a tremendous graphic artist, and we use it for a men's club we have. And I thought it'd be the perfect little logo for this book on the front, and they they put it on there. You know, this it didn't it didn't come out of the start of Cabby, but it sort of did because when we started Cabby and we were transitioning from being a manufacturer where we sold uh, Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, and probably the top 3,000 retail stores in the United States, I wanted to go direct. And I knew we needed to create a whole group of people, a whole network. So Carol and I started having dinner parties at our house. And, you know, with 10 or 12 people at a table, what generally happens is you fall into about three small little chit-chat deals. And everybody usually has a conversation about the lowest common denominator, the weather or what mm -hmm. their kids are doing. Or, and, it is, and it is just boring ad nauseum. And we were doing these to try and figure out who would be a great fit to bring into the company. And it, it became clear to me early on that something had to be done intentionally to take charge because we weren't getting the results we wanted. So I started doing a table question. And the table question allows you to really be the orchestra leader of what takes place. Mm -hmm. You're not you're not there to dominate or tell people what to say, but you're certainly there when the oboe section gets too loud to quiet them down or to tell the trumpet section you've had enough of the solo, it's time for somebody else. And so that's sort of what this formally came about, but I've been doing it for years. And friends of mine who would come to our house for dinner and experience it, in fact, I just had a telephone conversation with one of them two days ago who said his wife picked up on it and she does a table question every time that they have a dinner with somebody. And I think it's a great way to keep everybody at the table on the same topic and engaged. And it's just your job to be the person who uh, brings up the, the uh, violins or puts down the viola or whatever. Do you know that was one of my favorite parts of your book where you uh, likened the host as being the conductor because conductors are great listeners. 
and the conductor truly has to listen to the orchestra, which instrument is too loud, which one is out of tune. And I just loved how you transitioned that to what it's like around the table. You can tell someone's out of tune, you know, maybe they're talking too long or they're not quite getting what it is that you're trying to do. I, I thought that was a perfect analogy. Well, you know, the book, the book really is a simple explanation of something that we all want to have, which are good conversations. Mm -hmm. But you can start off on the wrong foot and you'll never want to go there again, just like I did many years ago, long before Carol and I started to date, but we were business partners. I was in a group with three other men who were my seniors by 16 years, and I invited uh, their wives and them over to my house for a New Year's Eve dinner. And I bought lobster. I was really going to make it be a great deal. And so we started off and we were having dinner and Carol was there helping me do it. And I said, well, I've got a great table question that that I'd like to uh, have us go over tonight. And here it is. What are the two things that you'd like to change most about your spouse? (laughs) Oh, my disaster! What a disaster. But, you Ah! know. I, 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 it was, it was well-meaning, well-intentioned, but just done the wrong way. And literally one of my great friends, Jim Brown and his wife didn't talk for two weeks. So, <gasps> oh my God. So you can, you can do something like that. <laughs> and you'll <laughs> never want to do another table question again. And the great, the great thing about the book is it tells you what's important and what's important to avoid. And, uh, you know, the questions, it, it's it's important to kind of make it an open-ended question, so people don't feel like they're in front of the uh, in front of the police department getting the third degree about anything. You've got to give people enough room to go wherever they want to, and it's surprising to me when we started to do these at the start, how many times with a table of twelve people we might stumble onto somebody and it was their turn to talk. And they started to weep. Oh. I mean, it was like, and and I at first I thought, well, what's with this? What's going on here? The real deal is most people don't have the opportunity to really say what they want to say and to be involved in a conversation. Think about it. Most of our conversations are just transactional conversations. But this really opens it up to let people say what they want. The other deal is you can't be judgmental. Mm. If somebody says, if somebody he says the most bizarre deal. You can really go, really? Well, tell me more about that. What do you mean? You can let them dig their own hole for themselves. <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need to grab a shovel and help them get there. Um and and I've just found that anybody, my friends who've experienced this with us go out and try it themselves, and immediately they love it. They come back and tell me, hey, that was great. Now my kids want to do it. I think it's an absolute great application, too, for families. As little time as children get with parents nowadays, mm. most of the time is spent on video games or texting somebody. And you can let them form the questions, too. You can say, okay, S- Sally, tonight is your night. What would you like to talk about? What would the question be that you'd like to put at the table tonight so that they can get an involvement in it? Simple stuff like that. Uh, this isn't this isn't this isn't uh, the uh, explanation of nuclear fission, 
But what it is, is the locking down of some obvious deals that otherwise you might miss. And then in the back of the book, I don't know how many pages we've got, Mm -hmm. maybe 20 pages that have 25 top questions about all different categories that you can pick up on and use or alter, you know, to your specification that you want to use it for that evening. I thought that was so practical. I love the fact that because, you know, sometimes if you're not comfortable in conversation yourself, the fact that you give us multiple questions that we can plan ahead and prepare. Uh, Like you said, know your table, know your audience, kind of plan ahead what it is that, you know, you want to have happen that evening. And then you have all these categories like uh, values and what's going on in the culture. And you, you have all these questions that you're really training people to do this very thing. Like you said earlier, Jan, it's simple in a you know conversation, but it's so difficult because people are not comfortable in sharing their thoughts. Is it a valuable thing that I'm sharing? But when you pose a question that puts that person in a place where an answer should come forth, it really makes people think a little deeper. It makes people be more thoughtful in their answer and not have a a transactional type response. Like I know in your book, you said, you know, there's the kind of questions like, where did you get this coffee? Or what are you doing for dinner? They're just open and closed questions, but you're creating the environment for the conversation to grow. And just like we said, with the analogy of the orchestra leader, you can take it farther. When somebody goes to something, you can, you can give them a second, third question. Well, tell me more about that. How, do, how, mm-hmm. how does that make you feel when that happened? And they'll take it as far as they want to. I think one of the key things I mentioned it before is make your question open-ended. Yes. And so that they can, they can go wherever they want to go with it and they aren't feeling trapped or they don't just give you a short yes or no. How about this advice? As you know, we all will come in contact with people like this. If you have someone at your table and you've got your questions formed and someone's a dominator or like you pose in the book, the tuba play, the tuba instrument is just playing too long. It's interesting in the beginning, but after 30 minutes, it's like enough. So what's your advice to anyone who's listening that deals with that? Well, <laughs> like 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 everything, I think there's a couple different levels of, of uh, what you need to do. At first, it's really easy to say, "Well, Bill, that's great. Thank you. Uh, we want that. We really, I think you've been able to express where you're at on that, and we all get it. Sally, what do you have to say? So you you can take over easily, and then if they keep doing it, or if they're really an annoyance, at the very very worst. Um, <laughs> no, you don't hit them over the head with a bottle of wine. You say, <laughs> you say, why don't we take a little five minute break? And then if you need to, you can, you can take that person aside and say, you know, it's great that you're so opinionated, but you know, there's, there's 11 other people here and I really want to give them a chance to talk. And why don't you and I spend um, some time after we're done with the dinner and you can, we can go as far as you want to go with this. That's a great answer because then they know they're just temporarily being shut down, but they're going to have an audience of one later to share more. And you're actually protecting the rest of the people at the table. That's great. 
It really, it, and it really, you're at, that's the absolute right word. You are protecting them because they've, they've kind of, uh, whether they realize it or not, given them, themselves in the evening over to you. And so you're in charge. You don't want to look like you're in charge, um, but you definitely are in charge and you just need to be intentional. I love the word intentionality. It's so true. And I know you talk about four guidelines and I think it's they're very simple, but very practical. Plan ahead, ask the right questions, be in control and make it fun. So being in fun. control is different than being in charge. Control is more, well, why don't you tell us about those guidelines? Cause I think they're very direct. We call all of our leaders at these TWA weeks, we don't call them leaders. We call them conveners because they're really there. And we say their job and our job, when we have these uh, guests come up for the different weeks that we do in Montana, our job is to set the table. Mm -hmm. Set the table so that everybody can sit down and let them partake in it. Our job is to set the table. And, you know, I, I, and you list number four as make it fun, but keep in your mind, that should be number one. This should be fun. And it's easy to make it fun. What do you do with, and this happens because I'm a life coach. And one of the things when I'm with a client, when you, I ask a question, there's a long pause. And the most difficult thing is to not just step in and try to continue the conversation or answer for that person, but allow that pause to have its effect. Now you, you bring this topic up in your book um, about the pause. They're like transitions. Why don't you share with us if we're hosting and we have one of those moments where there's a long pause? Well, for, first of all, uh, let me say pauses and silence are one of the most powerful negotiating tools you have. And then I think another simple thing you can do is you can affirm it and you can say, you know what? Uh, it's great to know, even though there's silence now, that everybody's really taking this seriously and thinking about it. And uh, I, think, I think that really makes for a great evening's conversation. Not just a bunch of chitter chatter, but stuff that's really from the heart and really well thought out. And um, so I'm going to give you all a few more minutes. And then I'm going to ask you, when I first offered this question up, what's the first thing that came to your mind? Mm. You can, so you can, you can diffuse it a little. You can make it an easier way to enter the pool for everybody. You don't have to jump off the high dive. You can start and walk in right in the waiting pool and, uh, you know, get, get progressively deeper into it. I think that's always good. I love how you brought that home with that question. Like you just brought it back and you gave permission to pause and rethink that that's a good skill. So speaking of skills, one of the things we all have to learn is to be a better listener. Uh, what kind of advice do you can you give to all of us to become better listeners? Oh, it's so hard because we all want to speak. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> we want to be heard. <laughs> I think I think I think one deal, especially in 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 this uh, setting, the genuineness of people 
seeing that you're sincere about listening to them will really make them want to participate. They'll see that that you're you're uh, you're doing this has authenticity behind it, and that you have a real concern to hear what their opinions are. You're not, you know, you, it's it's not just a little uh, dog and pony show or trick deal that you're doing for the dinner table. That's and really I think, good. And I, and I think and I think a great thing to do too is when somebody shares something, an honest affirmation of it. Um, yeah, and and when I say honest, if you're if you're just always affirming everybody about everything over the top, everybody will read that as a false deal. You know, I mean, you could say when somebody just says a short answer, we say, well, Sally, thank you for that short and concise answer. That's great. I mean, so you can still give her affirmation. Sure, because <laughs> bottom line, we all want to be affirmed, right? Okay, so let me ask you this, Jan. When you invite the guest over, are they aware that you're going to have table topics, or is this just something you naturally let happen? Well. Uh, if they've been to one of our parties before, they know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But if they're new to it, no. And I let a little bit of chit chat happen. I don't want to make it seem so stiff and formal and Mm -hmm. like it's a perfunctory deal that as soon as they sit down before they reach for their glass of water or wine. Now, folks, I got a question I want to ask. I let everybody do that little chit chat and everything the way dinner parties start out normally. You want everything to feel normal. You don't want it to feel odd or weird, but I say, I might, I might take my glass and hit it and ding, ding, ding my wine glass with a fork or something. I say, Hey, you know what I thought might be really fun tonight. I'd like, I'd like to explore. And I know we could have a lot of different positions on this, but the upcoming presidential election. And this isn't a time for us to convince one another who's right and who's wrong, but it's just maybe a chance for us to talk about what do we think is going to happen and what are our impressions and opinions of what's going to take place. Uh, Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, especially as we're getting into it, to be able to hear the intelligent conversation of folks like you, I'd like to hear your opinions. So what, what do you think about it? What do you think is going to happen as we step into this next presidential election? Clearly, it's a wild time, isn't it? Yes. And I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go to that. I mean, that's a pretty heavy question. And you said earlier, you've got to know who's there. Every great speaker knows who his audience is, Mm -hmm. and he delivers his speech to that audience. And it's the same deal. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that with a group of people I didn't know or with a group of people who I really knew uh, stood on both sides of the fence in far deals and were armed. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't <laughs> offer, I wouldn't offer a question like that. But to my good friends, how great. I mean, and I think for me, honestly, a great conversation makes a dinner a memorable, wonderful occasion, far more than just a great dinner. I totally agree. In fact, that's one of our favorite things to do in my home. We love to gather around our table and have the conversations. It's it's not, you know, come and eat and everybody run out. It's we're going to sit and we're going to talk and we're going to enjoy one another because I do believe that's where your bond, that's where you build 
relationships with the, with your family or your guests that come. And I have this quote here, kind of following up what you just said, a great conversation inspires you to elevate your thinking. And this is from Vladimir Ellie. So just having that great conversation, it does inspire or elevate the way that you think because you just can't give a rote answer. Great. Yes. Yes. We, we, uh, uh, one of the key quotes that we do everything up in Montana with these men at the Wild Adventure at is from Henry Nowen. And uh, that, when I read it for the first time, it really changed the way we did everything. I went back and redid everything we do. And it is answers before questions do one soul great harm. Answers before questions do one soul great harm. And a lot of conversations are just people giving their positions and uh, that's it and locking it in. So you as the orchestra leader need to come in and ask why, why do you feel that way? Why do you, how do and I think that just elevates the whole evening and the conversation level. You know, one of my, my favorite questions, and it depends on, who's coming for dinner is what time is it in your life? Uh, and that just really makes people start sharing where they're at, where they're struggling. Um, I just love that question too. I just think. I, it- and, and, and you asked me, do, do I, do I always do these at art deals? I actually, <laughs> when I'm invited to some people's homes, I will, I hate to say it, but I'll take over. And uh, I try to make it not look like I'm taking over, but I just cannot stand to burn two to four hours in just chit-chat. I don't have enough time left to do that. And I have a, I have a couple of great just standard questions, even if I just haven't prepared for it. I think one of the great ones, just like that question that you said, what time of your life is it, is... Uh, What's the biggest unanswered question in your life at this point? Oh, that's that'll open, good. That'll open up just a huge door to wherever they want to let you go. Yeah. Oh, it gives permission to open that door. And I love what you put in your book. You have in the beginning, um, you know, it's all about small talk and we all can do small talk, but big talk is where we dig deep into our souls and discuss intriguing topics that shape our world and impact our daily lives. So I believe this is what your book is all about. It's teaching us the value of big talk, intentional conversations, um, how to do it. Like you give a great framework um, why we need to do it, how to do it, how to prepare. And you actually provide, oh, I can't even tell you how many questions are in your book. It's amazing what you have written for all of us to grow by. And then I think the real art of it too is being able to do that without making it seem like it's big talk. Exactly. The the old deal of the frog being boiled slowly as opposed to being dumped, dumped into the boiling pot. And uh, people really want to go there. You know, uh, there's a great there's a great verse in the Bible in Ecclesiastes that says, "God has placed eternity into the heart of man." Mm-hmm. Amen. People want to talk about the big things, and uh, I was just up. We just finished a week uh, today up at the ranch, and at the end, I say, "Man, really want to talk at this level? Like, 
level they've, they've experienced all week. But I said, but if you open up with this at a cocktail party, you'll be drinking alone the rest of your life. Because <laughs> everybody will say, this guy is a weird one. And yet every guy that I know really wants to be able to interact at that level, but doesn't know how to get there or doesn't know where to go for it or how to introduce it. That is so true. And it it, it takes learning what you're put in this book to uh, teach us how to draw that out. It's like going fishing, drawing different things out. So I want you to share, because I want you to talk about what you do with men. But before we leave the topic of the book, I know my audience is listening right now. And we have a lot of parents, a lot of business entrepreneurs. And I just think there's so many obstacles that keep people from doing this, whether it's their insecurities, they don't know how, but I believe this day and age, we have got to bring back conversation. It heals relationships. It, it's a strengthening tool that's just gone to the wayside because of social media. So I would love for you to encourage the audience and inspire them to bring this back into their families and into their lives? Well, the, the inspiration for me on that would be, think of yourself. Don't you want to get there? Don't you want to be there? I know I do. And the problem is, I think we've, got, we've gotten to a point where we don't know how to get there. And it's simple and it's obvious, but because we haven't done it that way for a long time, we don't have honest conversations. So it's how you open it up. It's how you go about it. It's how you get started. And the best way they could do that is to get your book because well, it's yeah. so practical. It's so practical and you have great ideas and advice. I mean, you even have a chapter on preparing to fail. Like in other words, what happens if something goes wrong? I mean, you're right. right. And I, and I honestly think, uh, like I said, this isn't this isn't this isn't uh, <laughs> telling us how the how the universe works. It's a simple deal, but it's it's a simple deal that once you follow those, it'll be so easy for you to do it, and you really will be a master of this. I I, I just believe that. I believe That's it. Yeah, I believe it'll uh, develop a confidence for people to step out, have people to their home. Um, or even if they go out to create conversations so people leave full, not just from the food, but full in their soul. So Jan, tell us about uh, what it is. First, tell us where we can purchase your book. And then I want you to tell us about your uh, excursions that you do with men at the ranch. Great. Well, my book, which uh, which was just came out, uh, was released in April on April 11th, and uh, has achieved a national bestsellers award from Publishers Weekly, which is actually the highest uh, kind of accolade you can get for a bestseller book. My friend Hugh Hewitt, who did the foreword to it for me, and he also did the audible, and I did the audible version of it as well. I read it. Um, he said he's written 17 books. He's had three of them as New York Times bestsellers. And he said, I've never received a Publishers Weekly. And he said, that's the most prestigious. So however, I stumbled into that. I luckily did. And we also had bestseller from Barnes & Noble. Uh, Porchlight gave it the number four uh, business book. 
and uh, Amazon had it, their staff picks, and you can find it at at many places. But you can, if you go to jansbooks.com, jansbooks.com, that'll take you immediately to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Million Booksellers, whoever you want. It'll take you right to their page immediately there, and you can get right on it. It won't take you through a lot of. You won't have to search for it, and you can order it from them. Uh, and congratulations, by the way, on that amazing honor. Congratulations. Well, That's amazing. Well, well thank done. Thank you. You know, <laughs> uh, writing a book is one thing. Getting it sold is a totally another deal. That is the real work. Writing a book is like uh, is like watching an ant cross a four-lane highway. It's a long, <laughs> slow slog. But selling a book, oh, mama mia, that's really it. And the problem is there's a lot of authors with a lot of book uh, uh, cases of books in their garage because they didn't realize writing it is one thing and moving it is another. Oh, so. it's a whole different animal, isn't it? I didn't. I, I don't think I ever told you. I have a book that I wrote. It's called The Family Letter. Wonderful. And it's we're like simpatico here because it's all about um, sharing in the form of a letter what you love, value, and celebrate about the person. And we do this on our birthdays. But I, it's a whole Wonderful. thing about using our words. Uh, Wonderful uh, to inspire and encourage people. So I totally, that's why I loved your book. It's so resonated with me. So tell me about, tell our audience about the men's excursions. <laughs> the wild adventure. Well, first of all, when I do the video exit, I ask everybody, have you ever been on anything like this before? And they all say nothing like this. And I laugh because there isn't anything like it. We're not there to herd guys into a corral. We're not there to get them uh, to agree with something. We only have two rules. The first rule is we're not here to fix anybody so that you're not here to tell Fred what's wrong with him or how to get better and da da da. And the second rule is what we say here stays here. Mm -hmm. And this started 48 years ago when I was in Seattle and I needed a hobby and I picked up fly fishing and I fell in love with fly fishing. And I was bored with so many of the conversations I had I just thought, I was 23 years old. I thought, is this is this what I'm going to be stuck with the rest of my life? And I started, I got into fly fishing and I started getting my friends into it. I said, let's go. We got to go up and we'd go for uh, an afternoon or a day and we'd stop and we'd have a lunch. And for some reason, we'd fall into these great conversations. And if we went overnight and took our sleeping bags at dinner, we'd have great conversations. And I thought, this is great. So I built it all around fly fishing because I like to fly fish and I'm still doing it 50 years later. It's one of, oh, wow. like, one of the things I can still do 50 years later. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still engaging and still a challenge and I can still do it pretty darn well. And so when we have guys come up here, we're, we we have them all read a book. We have them read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge because it's got great um, great topics in there that most men won't talk about that they really need to deal with. Mm -hmm. And if you remember at our scoops at Cabby where we'd have all those thousands of uh, consultants together, I'd always push that book for him. Yes. Because if you don't understand your husband, here's a great book you need to read called 
let's see, do I have a copy of it here in this office? No, I have it in my other office. Wild at heart. And it'll teach you all about what your husband is. And then when you're done, you can give it to him and he'll learn about what he's all about too. And so I pushed hundreds of those, I'm sure thousands of them for him. And then I, I in my original book, I'd written names of friends on the dust cover. And when I passed out 150 of them, I thought, I have to meet this guy. Ah. I wanted to vet him to make sure he was the real deal, that I wasn't pushing some, you know, charlatan's book. Right. And he came on one of our trips and he took me through his book. He took us, the 12 of us, through his book. And I thought, ah, this is great. I'm going to start leading these myself now mm -hmm. and use this as the foundation for it. And the next year, I took our 12 guys, the 12 guys who came on that trip through it, and I hit every piece of content there was in there. And the trip was an absolute total disaster. It, oh. couldn't, it couldn't have ended worse. And that was 20 years ago. And I'm grateful to say all the lawsuits have been dropped. What? Uh, every, everybody, everybody who is... Everybody who's in counseling because of that has now left. They still might be in counseling, but not because of that. And oh I can figure out what in the world oh. happened. How did I make up such a... And that fall I was reading, and I stumbled across that quote by Henry Nowen. Answers before questions do one soul great harm. And the light bulb went on for me. And I thought, that's the problem. The most things that guys go to, they, they go to pastor or whoever they want, and they say, I want to learn about, I want to get more spiritually. And they say, okay, repeat after me. So they're given the answer, but they never have to wrestle with the question to come to the mm -hmm. conclusion. So that's really what it's about. And that's why so many guys uh, love the week. I mean, almost to a man, I mean, about 300 guys there this summer. Everybody just, guys, I heard this morning, oh, this was the greatest, this week changed my life. This week changed your life? Yeah, it changed my life. Mm. Unbelievable. So I think it is a deal for men to really get them. One guy said, this this opened my life up again to me. He said that to me this morning. He said, I oh. all this stuff. Last year, I heard a great quote from a guy who was on one of the trips. He said, most men die at 22 and are buried at 80. Meaning, yes. When they when they hit twenty two, they get a job and they just start going through the motions. They're just slogging along, and then they die, and then they're buried at eighty. You want to be free. You want to be alive. The whole deal. Um, and I think this, and you know that that's the purpose of the big questions to talk about the big stuff, and that's what we do there. And I say to guys on my trips that I lead, I said, if you think the mothership and L. Ron Hubbard are going to be the solution to your dilemmas in life. We will give you a flashlight and send you out at night with a kite string on the back of your uh, one of your ankles so you can find your way back. And good luck. I mean, <laughs> we have to have we have to have the answer that really solves all the dilemmas that we're going through. And guess what? The things are getting we're stepping into deeper and deeper dilemmas every day where we are now, just from where we mm -hmm. were about three or four years ago. It's amazing to me. So that's why you want to have the right answers and you want to ask the big questions and you want to have the big talk and the big discussions about them because somebody might lead you to something that you haven't thought of that could change your life. 
That is so powerful. And you're unlocking what's inside a man's heart and soul, giving them permission to bring it up and out. And, oh, you must be so touched when you hear the impact that you're having. Um, I, I will share this one thing. I bought that book back at one of the cabbie scoops and gave it to my husband years ago. And uh, he started with some other guys here in Houston and started a wild at heart type ministry where they all got together and read that book. Cool. Yeah. So a ripple effect. You cool. just, you just never know. You just never know. And I, I believe you think this is like the best gift that you could ever give your husband for Christmas is oh, a trip. Yeah. You know, my good friend, Hugh Hewitt, who came on this 20 years ago, uh, and Chris Carroll came home and she said, you have to get Hugh Hewitt and his friend, Bill Lobdell, who just wrote a book, How I Gave Up My Faith and Found Freedom. And he was interviewing his friend, Bill Lobdell. He said, you have to get him to come to your deal. So I actually knew a guy who knew Hewitt, Bud the Carpenter. Oh. I met him in graduate school. So I called Bud up and he said, I'll get back to you. And Hugh, he, Bud got back to me. He said, Hugh said to come down Tuesday night, smoke a cigar with him. And uh, you can pitch him your deal. And if he likes it, he'll come. Well, Hugh brought his friend, Bill Lobdell, came to it. He liked it so much. He brought a group. He took a whole week and brought his friends from Newport Beach the next year. And the year after that, he brought all of his friends that he studied with when he was becoming a lawyer at University of Michigan for another <laughs> week. So Hugh pushes it on his show and tells guys about it. And, um, you know, I... I, I could, there's nothing I could be doing at this point in my life that I could think could be more fulfilling. And I feel just like very fortunate to be in the midst of it, to be in the midst of these 50 guys, great guys, sharp guys who are making it happen and doing something like this. I mean, what a ball. Oh, you're having fun and you're being so <laughs> intentional and impactful. And I can just see these men walking away and bringing it back to their families and how their families are changed. And, it's just a beautiful ripple effect. I am just, I just applaud what you're doing. And I know you're doing it from your heart because you want to see people change and grow and be who they're created to be. So well, part of that and part of it too is totally selfish. I do it because there's no place else I could find to have this stuff happen. If I could, I'd go pay the guy to let me in the door, but <laughs> I had to create it myself. Don't they say if you can't find it, build it yourself, right? <laughs> so glad you did that. Well, Jen, I've been so honored to have you today on the podcast. I, you've just shared so much valuable information with us. And I just want everyone who's listening, now is the time. Now is the time to become intentional with conversation. People are longing to share they're just looking for someone to show them how to do it. This is a time and a season in our culture where we've got to bond, build relationships, get connected, and go to another level. It's time for growth. And I can tell you, I have read Jan's book. I've loved every part of it. I've learned a lot. And I love to have these type of conversations. And I still learn so much from this book. It's very insightful, practical, and trust me, you get all the questions at the end. He totally equips you to do this. So I just highly recommend you reach out and get the book. And I want to thank all of you as my transition tribe, where you come in each week to just grow and embrace 
and be inspired by the transitions that you experience. This is a, a call. This is a challenge for all of you. Transition in this area of your life. Develop conversations, meaningful conversations, and take them from small talk to big talk. Thank you, Jan, for being here. Thank you, Debbie. It was wonderful to be with you. We loved it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A dot com.